the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, faith questions, life questions, whatever we can do, but always, always, always from the perspective of the Word of God. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. I remind you every day the safest way to call if you're driving in your car is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. And because it's Wednesday, and this week is flying by, but uh, we have our midweek Bible study tonight. Wednesday night here is always an Old Testament uh, night. Uh, we finished with Second Samuel last week, uh, so tonight I'm teaching a special message on Psalm 51. I was just sharing with the producer, I think it's a really important one. If we would believe it, and if we do it and understand by faith what God has done, uh, I think it would free a lot of us up. Not only to enjoy our walk with the Lord, but to bounce back from those times that we make bad decisions and because we're human, we all do. So that's tonight. It's also uh, obvious that tomorrow's Thursday. And that means Paula will be back live with me uh, on the studio. She hasn't been here for a couple of weeks because of Thanksgiving last week. But Paula will be live in the studio tomorrow, ladies. If you need any encouragement or have any questions that she can answer, she will be here, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock. Let me get to some questions. Phones have been quiet this week, so if... Um, you have any questions, we'd appreciate the phone call. You're more interesting than I am. Here's an interesting question, a sad one, but an interesting one. It came in anonymously. What do you do if you tried Jesus, but it didn't work? Um, I never understand, uh, anonymous, what people mean when they say that. Because you don't try Jesus. You either surrender your heart to him or you don't. And one of the really important things to understand is that Jesus isn't just like a, a, a plate on a cafeteria serving line. Um, I'll try a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Jesus, who gave everything for us, requires everything from us. And we can't hold anything back. So when people say, well, I tried Jesus, but it didn't work, normally what they mean is it didn't solve my problems or it didn't make me feel all goosebumpy. Um, um, some will say, well, at first it was okay, but then problems came back into my life. Anonymous, what that means is you didn't try him at all. You didn't try him at all. The only way to come to Jesus is to surrender everything. The only way to experience what it's like to live 
in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is to repent of your sins, die to yourself, and follow him. That's what he said to his disciples. He said, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. And usually when somebody says, well, I tried Jesus, but it didn't work for me, um, it's because they're unwilling to deny themselves. This isn't to be in denial. It's to deny yourself. It's to say yes to him, but to do that, we have to say no to our flesh. And so here's what you do. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. You need to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. And in fact, if I were you, I would begin approaching him by saying, you know, I'm sorry for having such an immature perspective of what it meant to be a Christian. I'm sorry, Lord, that I thought you'd take away all my problems or I thought you'd make me feel better, but it didn't work. I'm just sorry that I thought that little of you. And then just say, I'm sorry, please help me now. I need help. And Anonymous, you need help. Because everyone, and I, I mean without exception, everyone who meets my Jesus is changed by him. But you can't, can't come on your terms. You can't continue dabbling in sin. You can't continue hoping that, well, everything will get better. And then when it doesn't, sort of drift away. You've got to make a commitment to follow Jesus, heart and soul. In fact, when I pray for um, one of my sons and his wife and grandkids, and these are the Christian son and his wife, I, I, I say, Lord, I left Ronnie and Diana, their names, I say, and my prayer is heart and soul. That they'll hold nothing back from you. Anonymous, that's what you need to do. You need to say, I was the problem. Jesus, you're not the problem. I owe you everything. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. And starting right now, I'll walk with you. That's the only possible solution to the circumstance that you described. I'll make this last comment. Many, many years ago, while we were still in California, there was a, uh, a lady living in the same apartment complex. And uh, she lived sort of in the back, and Paul and I could always hear this Indian music and, and it coming from her, her apartment. Uh, we had no air conditioning in those apartments, so it was uh, the windows were always open. And we could hear her chanting. And uh, one day uh, I was talking to her, and I said, you know, what is all that chanting and stuff? Um, actually, I think this was Paula who was talking to her. And she said, she said, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to find peace in my inner self, and this is what it was. And Paula started to share the gospel with her. And she says, oh, well, I went to a Calvary Chapel for seven years, but it didn't work. It always works. All you have to do is surrender. So I hope that helps a little bit. Here is a question from Nancy. This is a question that comes up from time to time. Uh, Pastor Ron, is it ever okay to lie? I know Rahab is in Hebrews 11, and she lied. Nancy, Jesus said that the devil is the father or the source of all lies. Not some lies are most lies, but all lies. So Nancy, what you have to do is decide if you want the devil to be the father or the source of the things coming out of your mouth, or if you want Jesus. It is never, ever, ever okay to lie. Now, Rahab lied because her faith was weak. In fact, her faith was brand new. She had just the tiniest, tiniest mustard seed of faith. But that's all it takes. And she responded in obedience. Um, her lie was a result of her faith being weak. And if we ever think about... Lying somehow being okay, we need to understand that the best solution we can come up with when we lie is that we lied because our faith was really weak. And we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in the knowledge of who God is. So it really isn't ever okay to lie. If you do, uh, don't do it willfully. I mean, if you find yourself in a position where you lie, repent and do it quickly. If you will do that, God will forgive you. Your fellowship will be restored. 
and instantly you'll be closer to Jesus. But Nancy, it's never okay to purposefully lie. Isn't it interesting, Nancy, that children don't have to be taught to lie? Did you do that? No. And you caught a red-handed. That's our sin nature. And when we lie, we lie because we're liars. And we justify lying by saying, well, you know, it's a greater good, or I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, to, to tell the truth, you don't have to hurt people's feelings. There's some things that you don't have to say. But whatever your excuse for intentionally lying might be, it won't fly with God. So it's not okay to lie. I want to be as far away from the things that the devil is involved in as I possibly can. Here is a question from Ronald. He says, in Matthew 27, the graves opened and dead people came to life. Can you explain what that's about? Uh, Ronald, I really can't uh, other than, than tell you what it says. Um, this was a sign miracle. Um, there's one verse in Matthew 27 that describes this. This is one of those things that I'm sure we're going to get a full accounting of when we get to heaven. But it's just kind of thrown in there as an afterthought. And none of the other gospel accounts say anything at all about this. But the graves were opened. And for three days, the people walked around, or, or actually after Jesus' resurrection, they walked around. It means that the righteous dead, those who believed in Jesus before he came. Now, we don't know if it's just local people buried in local cemeteries local tombs or whether maybe some of these were, were, were people of note from time past in the Old Testament we don't know but here's what we would know for sure we know that this was a sign miracle and Jerusalem would be talking about this can you imagine what it must have been like did you see those dead people or people that were dead walking around and then they would hear the story, of course, that Jesus was not in his tomb. And they would intentionally make that connection. Now, let me give you an opinion here, Ronald. I think that this is one of the impetuses that people had on the first day of the church, some 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion. I think this is one of the impetuses for them getting saved. Excuse me. Uh, I think um, 3,000 of them had all of these things going through their minds. And the 3,000 people that got saved on the very first day, they were ready because they were just waiting for an explanation. And when they saw the, the Spirit of God descend, the cloven tongues of fire, the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and men speaking in languages that weren't their own, and, and being able to understand because they were communicating the glory of God, I think the sign wonder that pointed to Jesus in Matthew 27 was a part of that whole experience. So that's what I think, but the truth is nobody really knows, Ronald, and um, it's one of the more interesting passages of Scripture. Um, just a verse thrown in with no explanation. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Randy. He says, in Genesis 11, when everyone spoke in one language, what language was it? And then why did God confuse it? Well, we don't know what language it was. You know, the, the easy answer is Hebrew, but that wasn't the case uh, because there was no uh, Hebrew people. In Genesis chapter 11, um, uh, Abraham, who comes in the next chapter, is literally the first Jew and the first called out one. And he was a pagan idol worshiper. Um, so they, they all spoke in one language. Um, we don't know what the language was. Um, unfortunately, the reason that God confused the language is because they used that one language to sort of conspire against God 
to uh, be disobedient, to do horrible things. In fact, they were building the Tower of Babel, baking the bricks. If you look carefully, they were waterproofing the bricks and building a tower to the heavens. And what that really means is that they were building a tower tall enough that if God would choose to flood the world again, that they would be raised up and safe above the level of the floodwaters. And God looked down and he said, that I can see now how evil man's heart is and that there's no end to the evil they'll do if they're able to communicate. So God then confused the language. Just as a side note, Randy, um, I also think that the sign miracle of tongues on the day of Pentecost was sort of a God saying from heaven that, that in Christ that curse has now been reversed. So, Randy, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much. Let's go to Terry calling on line one. Terry, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm fine, sir. I was uh, calling because I didn't know that that's what happened with uh, the Tower of Babel. I thought it was because God didn't want them building a big old tower like that, you know, that it was insulting to him. <laughs> That's okay, Terry. Isn't, isn't it just like humans to try to figure out a way to get around the, the, the rules of God, and that's what they were trying to do? Well, isn't God, isn't God, some, isn't the Lord something else? Anyway, I was calling Pastor Ron because I, uh, I often think about this. Uh, I know that uh, there was a lot of disciples and uh, apostles and all that in uh, Jesus' time, but not all of them stuck, you know, with, with Jesus, and not, a, not all of them followed um, <clears throat> Jesus, you know, uh, and not, not uh, wanting to be, I don't think all of them uh, did as they, you know, should have or could have by becoming, you know, teachers and and uh, teaching the people, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. anyway, I was wondering uh, how many of the original uh, apostles did follow Jesus's word and teach others uh, go go just go to different areas in their mm -hmm. lifetime. Do you know? And I'll hang up and listen. Okay, Terry. Thank you very very thank much. You. Um, uh, yes, they did, and in fact, uh, you can do some online research, just Google the destinations of the apostles, and uh, all of them went to other places. Thomas, for example, we know went to India. Peter traveled all around the known world at the time. So yeah, all of the original 11, plus a man named Matthias, who was the one who replaced Judas, all of them became messengers or carriers of the Word of God, and, uh, and, and there's, there's historical references to the places they went, the things that they were supposed to have done. Now, the problem with the historical references, Terry, is that they're not inspired by God. So we don't know. There's enough evidence, for example, with Thomas, um, to know uh, that his ministry in India was abundantly uh, productive. Um, but, but the others, there's just sort of fragments of writings that have been found. But all of them followed the Lord. All of them died as martyrs, save the Apostle John. He's the only one of the originals who lived to a, 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 full, a full life. He lived to about the age of 95. Um, but, yeah, they did follow him, and they were um, very faithful in their ministry. Now, I, I also want to make a distinction between the, di the disciples that we read about in the Gospel accounts, where it says the disciples followed him. The, the word disciple means students. And so when Jesus was attracting these huge crowds... Um, they would be referred to as Jesus' students or disciples. That doesn't mean they were saved. It doesn't mean they surrendered their heart. It just means that in that culture, they sat under his teaching. Now, we also know that many of them deserted him. Uh, in fact, at his arrest, there was only the, 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 the 11 left, Judas having already betrayed him. 
um, they were all scattered, but, but his, the disciples, the people that had been following him from place to place, well, their hearts were tested, proven to be um, um, not genuine in the sense that they were coming to Jesus for the miracles, they were coming to Jesus because he could feed multitudes of crowds. Uh, the, the problem, of course, is that the only way you come to Jesus, I said in an earlier question, the only way you come to Jesus is by surrendering everything, and they were unwilling to do that. There's one uh, story in the Gospels where the crowds were getting so huge, it was like the, 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 the 12 disciples were thinking, this is great, the whole world is following us, but Jesus knew what was in their heart. And what was in their heart was wicked, and so when Jesus was instructed by his Father to give the, you must eat the flesh of my flesh and drink the blood of my blood speech. In other words, they understood that Jesus was calling for a total abandonment to following him. And the crowds began to leave in droves. That's when the disciples looked at Jesus and they must have a look on their face, Lord, why are you sending them away? We were just getting popular here. And Jesus looked right at Peter and he says, are you too going to leave? You see, that was the question. It wasn't about the ones who left. Jesus was concerned with the ones who stay. That's when Peter said, well, Lord, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. See, one of the problems we've always had as human beings is that we're focused on what everybody else is doing. And Jesus is always trying to get it back to us. Are you going to leave? It doesn't matter. If they left, they left. Jesus wasn't shocked by that. In fact, that was the purpose, to thin out the crowd. What are you going to do? And Terry, you've been a listener for a long time, I know, and, and um, you, you've been faithful. Jesus knows that, but he also knows those who are going to leave him. How heartbreaking must that be for God? How heartbreaking must that be? John chapter 6 is a reference for that, Terry. Thank you very, very much. Good to hear from you again, Terry. Thank you. 340-9585. Let's see, we've got five minutes, just under five minutes left. Uh, here is an anonymous question. Four minutes now. Pastor Ron, I purposely sin. I feel terrible. How can God ever forgive me, and how can I move on? Um, let me recommend to you, Anonymous, to, to tune in to calvarysa.com. If you're local, you can visit us. We'd love to have you. We don't have huge crowds on Wednesday night, so there's plenty of room. But the Bible study that I'm going to do tonight in Psalm 51 um, is a perfect example of how we should respond to the question you asked. Now when you say I purposely sin, you've got to own that before God. I'm glad that you feel terrible. That's, that's sort of proof that you really do belong to it, that the Holy Spirit does live inside. But He doesn't want you to keep feeling terrible. What He wants you to do is repent and be forgiven. And He wants you to purpose in your heart to follow Him so that you don't purposely sin again. My transgression, David says tonight, is ever before me. A transgression is me knowing where the line is and stepping over it, sort of doing it in the face of God. You know what? He's not angry with you. He just wants you to say, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it anymore. And then the joy of your salvation will be returned. Then he will renew a steadfast or right spirit within you. God isn't concerned, not at all, about what you did. Because it's in the past. Right now, he's concerned about how you're going to respond. And what he wants, Anonymous, the only thing he wants, is for you to walk with him again, be right with him tonight, right now. And your sins will be forgiven and forgotten, completely blotted out. David, a man after God's own heart, understood that. I wish we really understood it. So own it. If there are consequences to your sin, accept them. Jesus will be with you in those consequences. But you've got to decide what you're going to do. You're going to continue feeling bad. That's the enemy. 
trying to pound you, trying to make you feel guilty and remain in that state of feeling guilty. And the Holy Spirit that lives in you, the one that is responsible for you feeling bad, well, he's calling you to Jesus, not away from Jesus. So learn to distinguish the voices in your head now. The voice in your head is condemning you. That's the enemy. The voice in your heart, that's the one who's calling you to get right. I'll say one other thing, Anonymous. We've, we have a tendency as humans to put it off as long as we can. The longer you put off repenting and asking for forgiveness, the harder it will be to do. David, when he tried to hide his sin for a period of nearly a year, you can read Psalm 32 and feel what that felt like, not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. So God wants you to move on, but you have to move on with Jesus. And the only way you can do that is to take the counsel from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. We've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. We have 30 minutes left. Let's get right to the questions. Um, here's a personal question, anonymous. Pastor Ron, how do you deal with personal attacks and watching people fall away from God? Uh, if I understand what you mean, and I think I do, um, I do it with a lot of tears and a lot of prayer. Um, the hardest thing for me as a pastor, by far, by far, by far, the hardest thing is watching people I love drift away from the Lord. Some of them just run away from the Lord. Uh, people that you've been around for a long period of time who just turn their back on Jesus and run from him. And, and I know the, the pain that they're going to encounter. I know the pain they're going to cause others. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Um, and yet, it's always been that way. So I, I, I don't know any other way to, to explain other than Watching people suffer needlessly is the most difficult thing that I, I have to deal with. Now, when you ask about how do I deal with personal attacks, um, if you mean people um, saying bad things or people um, disagreeing with, with what we teach, uh, I, I don't deal with those at all. I just don't deal with them. Um, if somebody is going to attack me, and I'm not guilty, then God is going to take care of me. Uh, and I just don't want to spend any of my time defending me. Uh, I'd rather let Jesus defend me. Uh, and that way I can continue being about the business of the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you here in the sense that there's nobody, especially me, uh, nobody wants to be spoken badly of or, or to be thought badly of. Typically, as Christians, we're nice people. We love people. We want people to love us in return. But, but one of the things that you learn very early being a pastor, for me, it took about a year and a half when we first got here to Texas uh, 23 and a half years ago. One of the things you learn very, very quickly is that people come in with their own agendas and if their agenda isn't your agenda, and they can't have influence on your agenda, then they're going to turn on you. That just goes with the territory. And I think you understand that. So I think, uh, and this is what I tell the church that, that they have to do in, in teaching, um, you know, you've got to keep your heart tender, but you really have to have thick skin. My grandma used to tell me, and my grandma taught me a lot of very valuable lessons. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Well, words really do hurt. 
but you got to deal with them as though they didn't because if you focus too much on what people think or people say then it really is going to change your ministry and eventually it will destroy your ministry there's two people in this world one of them is out of this world but there's two people that I really need to be on my side the first is Jesus if I'm okay with the Lord and I'm serving with all my heart and other people don't like it as long as Jesus is okay with me as long as our fellowship remains unbroken then I'm going to be fine anonymous the other person is Paula um, she's my partner and partners have to partner and if, if she's not with me um, then I'm vulnerable I'm in a bad place um, and if Paula were not to be with me about something um, then I'd really need to check my heart because almost surely I've done something to step out of the place where I'm even with Jesus so uh, the problems that we've had over the years have been minimal thank the Lord but when we have had those kinds of issues um, I just go to the Lord in prayer Lord if you're with me I'm okay now I gotta go and make sure Paula's with me if she's with me we're okay and then we keep doing what we're doing I think that's the most important thing that we learn is not to let what people say think or even their pointed criticisms not even their personal attacks none of that can turn my focus from following Jesus and what he wants to do can't take it personally it's not me they're rejecting it feels like it but it's really Jesus so I hope that answers what you wanted to know here is a question from Ed Oh, Ed's been listening to my teaching in Revelation I think what would happen if Israel is attacked and defeated would it prove that the Bible is not true uh, Ed uh, no uh, it wouldn't um, the Bible is so demonstrably true that it would just mean that it isn't going to happen the way we're going to ex the, the way that we expect it to happen but here's the thing you need to understand that's that's a hypothetical question that that people ask and and people have been trying to wipe Israel off the face of the map for the entire history of Israel the entire history of Israel and every time God fights for them now God used Assyria and God used Babylon before that he used the Philistines as instruments of judgment on a stubborn and disobedient Israel but that was the judgment from God and then God took care of those other peoples later and yet Israel impossibly as a nation again in their homeland nearly 2,000 years after they were run out and the temple destroyed God always fights for Israel why because there has to be a nation for Jesus to return to so just read your history 1967 war is fascinating the 1973 war even more so think about that the odds that were stacked against them and Israel had astonishing victories not because Israel is tough although by the standards of the world they are but because God is on their side be convinced Ed three four zero ninety five eighty five let's go to Harold on line one Harold thanks for calling you're on the air hi Pastor Ron well hi Harold. I was listening hi I was listening to the show obviously and you know you're really right about God and the wives uh, that's, that's the two most important things I believe got to be good with and they kind of work together as far as I'm concerned but mm -hmm. my question is you know I do love my Bible and um, I, I know there's a lot of things written online about Jesus writing in the sand or the dirt and what he wrote, and everybody has an idea about it. 
but I do like discussing it and talking about different ideas. But I, I guess my question is, you know, what was the point of writing it in the dirt, and who would understand it, and why not just say it, whatever he wrote? I know there's a mystery there. If you want to add to it, I appreciate it. And, you know, I love discussing, you know, the Bible and all. I can so, do that. Here, I'll thank you. To on the air. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank, thank, you, thank you, Harold. I can do that. Uh, a couple of things. In, in uh, first and foremost, uh, we don't need to be told everything. We humans are so insatiably curious. Um, there are some things that we need to understand. We don't need to know. Mysteries are good things. You know, the Apostle Paul had lots of questions, and eventually over time the Lord revealed four mysteries, things that had never been uttered before. So the things that we would like to know, we don't have to know. And with that, the only word of warning I'll give you is when you get into those discussions, there's some really crazy stuff that, that is, is uh, posited. And, um, you know, you, you need to stay away from that. I, I think I think there's a, a, a an element of pride, Harold, in needing to know. Now, if it's interesting, and I'm a curious guy, so I'm interested in a lot of things, but I always have to come to the conclusion that if God doesn't think I need to know it, I don't need to know it. And if I really did need to know it, He would tell me what it is. You know, the the the, the seven spirits of God, the the seven thunders. There, there's all of these references to things, and and you can go online and find people who think they know what the seven thunders were. Those kind of things. Um, nobody can know. We don't need to know. Now, uh, having said all of that, I'll tell you what I think. Jesus wrote in that episode. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery was obviously a prostitute. By the way, she was not Mary Magdalene, nor was she Mary of Bethany. She's not the woman in the Gospel of Luke, I think the seventh chapter, um, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Um, this was just another woman altogether. And uh, to, to ascribe being a prostitute to Mary Magdalene, uh, just because that's what Catholic tradition asserts, is is utter foolishness. Um, but she was a prostitute. She's well known by all the men there. Uh, they set a trap for Jesus. They did this on purpose. They were trying to find a reason to accuse and then uh, execute Jesus. So they set this woman up, paid her money. She went in, had a physical relationship with a married man and then they brought her, dragged her out to Jesus saying we caught her in the very act. Well first of all if they were really concerned about the law the man should have been there. But because he was part of the setup and this is pretty much unarguable um, you know their purpose was to trap Jesus not to get this man uh, the woman was just a pawn. Women had no value, especially women like this in that culture. So Jesus, knowing what was in their heart and mind, he bent down and he began to write in the dirt. And he would do it big enough that everybody could see. And then the other clue that we have in this, Harold, is that they left from the oldest to the youngest. One by one, they would leave. Now remember I said earlier this was a woman who was a well-known prostitute. She'd been hired for this episode. Now she's in danger of losing her life because of their evil. I think what Jesus was writing was a name, Eli, maybe a date or a time, and then the next name, Moishi, a date, a time, and then the next oldest, Solomon, a date and a time. And I personally think that it was most likely because this was a woman who was well known, a date and a time when those men were with this same woman.
And when they would see that, oh, I got to go, you know, kind of thing, uh, they just wanted to get out of there because they knew that they'd been busted. And since God knows our hearts and the way they left, the time it would take for Jesus to write a quick little message in the dirt, I don't think it was very long before the handwriting was on the wall. Everybody who'd ever been with that woman was about to be exposed as they had rocks in their hands to stone her. Rather than call attention to their own sin, they just wanted to get out of here. So, Harold, that's what I believe happened. Uh, but, but even that is just sort of uh, a theory based on the clues, the evidence that were given. And um, we can say this, it was certainly effective, whatever he wrote. Those who were guilty of the same kind of sin, probably with the same woman, they were out of there. I wonder what they must have thought about going on. How did he know that? Nobody knows that. 340-9585. Let's go to Jimmy from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Jimmy. Okay, thanks. Um, hey, um, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, who are the... Um, who are the seven heads and the ten horns represent? Let me get to Revelation 12. Yeah, it's the dragon, the dragon. Yeah. It's attacking the woman who's pregnant. Yeah, now the the dragon, we're told who that is. That's an old serpent, Satan. That's Satan, right? So, yep, so that's who we know it is. Uh, he's identified for us uh, in verse 9 of the same chapter. Um, and then uh, there is in chapter 17, Jimmy, the explanation of who the heads are, the ten horns and the seven crowns. That's very symbolic language. Um, the seven heads represent the seven hills of the city of the false prophet. We know that Rome historically is a city of seven on seven hills. Uh, and the ten horns will represent the reigning world power at the time of the Antichrist ascension to power. Uh, the, the ten nation coalition that will be formed in the last days. Uh, this is just when the Antichrist is going to ascend to power worldwide. Uh, and uh, so, so these are symbolic things. It's not really a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. It just shows that the, the devil is, is in charge of these seven heads and the ten horns of power. So we got a ten-nation coalition um, that uh, um, the um, Antichrist is going to rule over, uh, and he will be on their head. So, again, the devil's not a dragon. These are just signs uh, or symbols intended to reveal his nature and his character. So that's, so, that's so, what that is. So do you, do you think that's starting already, or...? Uh, no, we're, we're, we're certainly not in the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist will be revealed after the rapture of the church. So, yeah, you won't be here. So, uh, we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But no, this, this is the, the sort of the beginning. I know the Great Tribulation starts in the sixth chapter of Revelation, but after these, this, these interludes, the, chapter 12 and 13, uh, and 14, then we get into the, the worst part of the Great Tribulation, the second half, or the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So um, this is the, the, the woman is a symbol of Israel. Um, we yes. get that from yes. yeah we get that from Genesis um, when when uh, uh, Joseph's father um, was identified as the sun and the moon was identified as his, as Joseph's mother Rachel so that identity is also certain that help mm. yes yeah it's just, I was it sounded really interesting I was like well, I didn't read further on so you explained it more yep. I, I love the book of Revelation. We've taught it here three or four times already. And I tell my church to read it twice a year and uh, and also the book of Acts twice a year. And uh, interestingly, this Friday, um, we are going to be finishing the book of Acts as well uh, this this coming Friday night. Thank you, Jimmy. All right, thank you. Have a good day. Uh -huh. Here is a question from Angela. 
She says, I read a commentary that said Bathsheba was raped by David. What is your opinion? Uh, my opinion, Angela, is that the Me Too movement has gotten crazy. Uh, every woman is suddenly a victim. And again, I am certainly not insensitive to those women who are really victims. Um, but but it's just the, the whole thing is so contrary to what the Bible teaches us about our own personal responsibility um, that, that people are coming to crazy conclusions. This, this idea that Bathsheba was raped is, is uh, insane. Um, Bathsheba knew where David lived. Bathsheba was bathing on a roof intentionally. Her husband was at war. She knew that David had remained at home. And so this was something that was um, uh, in her heart and mind to do. Um, she sort of was used by the enemy to set the trap. Um, in all candor, um, nobody could refuse the king. Uh, in the ancient world, the king had, or it was thought, the divine right to take anybody that he wanted to as his wife. He could go to somebody else's home, not just the king of Israel, but, but the pagan nations as well. The king could do whatever. He could go into home, see a pretty woman, and just say, okay, I claim you for myself. He had the right to do that. So Bathsheba didn't have a choice, but she wasn't raped either. She was a willing participant and as I said, in fact, the, the evidence seems strongly to suggest, Angela, that, that this was part of her plan. Part of her plan. And it all happened because David was in a place he shouldn't have been. Most of our sin, most of our sin happens because we're not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to do. So Bathsheba was not raped. Um... But she couldn't have refused, um, but it seems clear that she didn't want to refuse. Here is a question from Oscar. How can I be sure to hear God's voice speaking to me? Oscar, that's the billion-dollar question. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 1 says we need to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. And the spirits are always screaming at us, those bad ones who are trying to confuse us, who are trying to destroy us. So the way that we can be sure to hear God's voice, first of all, is to be with Jesus. You know, when we meet Jesus, he is a stranger. Now we know he's our Savior, but he's a stranger. We don't know him at all. So you got to get to know him. I always tell the story, Oscar, about um, my first date with Paula and, and the time that we were, we were um, um, getting to know one another. I'd spend hours and hours and hours at her house. Their mom would kick me out. I'd run right home and call her. It'd be 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. She didn't care. I didn't care. And, you know, the thing is, Oscar, there was no real content to our conversation because we were pretty much strangers and didn't know one another. Um, you know, we didn't talk, have a lot to talk about, but we couldn't stand not to talk. But the more we hung out, the more we got to know each other, the easier the conversation became. Well, it's the same way with Jesus. You've got to spend time with him. The second thing that you have to do is you've got to be a student of God's word. You've got to dig in because the only way that you're ever going to know for sure something is from God rather than being from the enemy or just being from your flesh or somebody else's flesh is to know the word. If somebody says, for example, that God, God wants me to get a divorce, God wants me to be happy, we know that's not God. And I use that one, Oscar, because I've had that so many times over the years, people just get tired of the pain. They get tired of being in a difficult relationship. And they just want to escape. God told me it was okay. No, he didn't tell you it was okay. Unless you have biblical grounds. Is your husband beating you? Is your husband cheating on you? And the same thing is true with the, talking to the man. Is your wife cheating you? If the answer is no, then he didn't tell you to leave. But you've got to know God's word to know that. Otherwise, you're going to do what feels right or you're going to end up doing what you want to do. You've got to be sure that there's no unconfessed sin in your relationship with God. 
We had a question earlier about lying. If you told a lie, have you really repented of it? Not just say, oh, God, I'm sorry. But have you really repented of it? God, I don't want to lie anymore. It dishonors you. Please fill me with your spirit and help me. If you repent like that, then you're going to hear God's voice. But there's all kinds of spirits out there, Oscar. So you need to be sure. There are still things I hear after 28 years walking with Jesus. It'll be 28 years in February. That I'm not sure from him. There's an enemy who's always, always trying to confuse me. So I have to rely on what I know about who God is, his character, his nature, and then what the Word of God says. And I know that nothing God would ever say to me, speaking to my heart, would ever contradict what he's already spoken to all of us in his Word. I also find that God speaks only when I really need to hear from him. Oh, the devil's really chatty. The demons are really chatty. When I need to hear something, God communicates with me. But if I don't need to hear, I think I only need to hear I want to hear, then I've got to rely on him. And that's what he's trying to teach us, to walk by faith, trusting him. I think about the Apostle Paul. All the time he spent on horseback or on foot going from one place to another. And yet the actual times God spoke to him were few and far between. There's just a lot of downtime. That's when our faith really begins to grow. So, Oscar, I hope that helps. Important question. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for the phone calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. Um, pray for us tonight, Psalm 51. Very important study. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock. See you tomorrow, Lord willing. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.